Praise God. Why don't we just start right out of the box. Go to John 1. Go to John 1. Praise the living God. Book of John, chapter 1. John 1, and starting with verse number 1. John 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And the darkness comprehended it not. In the beginning. We know, of course, that the word is talking about Jesus Christ, saying that he was always with God the Father. And that nothing that it has been created was created without him. But the interesting thing here is verse number five, where he was the light, four and five, where he was the light, uh, the light and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness. Darkness, of course, is the world. It's the sinful world. It's the way the world does business. But the world comprehended it or did not understand him, did not understand him. The darkness that is around us, the world system, the way things are being done, no matter how much Jesus talks about what is truth, the world does not understand him. Therefore, it is very difficult for the world to follow what Jesus is wanting to do and understanding. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for, says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Well, the word is, is a state of being verb. It's called a state of being verb. Therefore, as you think or as you believe, that is how you're going to be. So if Jesus was coming to bring light into the world, but the world did not understand it, couldn't follow him. So that means then that many, many people in their thinking in deep within their spirits, they could not follow, understand what Jesus is saying. So likewise, us as Christians today, if we are not understanding and doing what Jesus, what God is telling us to do. okay, then that darkness can be in our hearts or in our spirits. And if that is the case, then as you think in your heart or as you believe deep in your heart. That's how you're going to be. If I am saying and I believe in my heart that I am sick, then how are you? I am sick. Or or I, to use the verb is, I is sick. (laughs) Terrible grammar, but the point I'm making is that as you think in your heart, that's how you're going to be. Therefore, we must go beyond traditional Christian thinking to understand the deeper things of God. This seems to have been the theme over the last several weeks here about going beyond traditional Christian thinking. It's time to get tired of religion and religious thinking. Time to get rid of that religion and religious thinking. This is what Jesus did during his ministry here on earth. He came to this earth and in his ministry, he set the Jews free from the pharisaical thinking of the time. He overturned the religious thinking and thoughts of that particular time. You can imagine two men, if you will, lost in a thick, dense forest. Both men are looking for food and water and are desperately hoping for someone to come and rescue them from their plight. They realize that in order to survive, they must have water. 
They might be able to survive for a short period of time without food, but they ultimately they need water. It's a necessity. Without water, rapid dehydration followed by death would be a certainty. The men agreed to split up and go their separate ways to, in different directions to seek water. And then they agreed to come back to their makeshift camp to compare what they found. Each man finds water at different locations. We'll say one was location A, the other one is location B. And they both drink from the water where they are. They go back and they meet at the old makeshift camp and report on what they found. But the streams that each of them found in different locations seemed to be very, very appealing. And so they started arguing which is the best place to go. Which shall we go? Shall we go to location A or go location B? They couldn't settle it, so they said, we'll just split up and go our own our separate ways. So they go their separate ways, and they set up camp, and they're drinking from these streams at location A and location B, while they're hoping and waiting for someone to come rescue them and find them to get them out of that thick, dense forest. Over time, the man that was drinking from the stream in location A regains his strength, and he survives, and is eventually rescued. When the rescuers searched for the man who was over at location B, they were shocked and dismayed when they found him because the man was dead. He had perished. He had been drinking from the, the stream that was at location B. He had food and shelter, but he did not live to see the rescuers. Drinking from the stream at that location had defeated him. The rescuers wondered why he had died and analyzed the water. The water that he was drinking from stream at location B was tainted with a tasteless and odorless substance that made the water poisonous. The man, therefore, had been drinking poisoned water. The man had been drinking poisoned water. Now, what does this little story have to do with our Christian walk today? Well, it has plenty to do with it. Many times we Christians are just like these two men in this fictitious forest. Both streams of water were indeed water. Both streams of water were indeed water. Both were cool and refreshing to the touch and taste, but one was life-giving and the other one was life-taking. What made the difference was the substance of the water. What made location A's water different from location B's water was the substance. Both water, but what was in the water? What was made up? What was the water made up of? The poisonous water had ingredients that were destructive and led to death. The other water had only ingredients that would lead to life, but both were still water. Well, so it is with our faith. So it is with our faith. When we have faith or strong belief in something, it means that we have an unyielding focus, a fixation on something and a confidence in what our faith will bring to pass. When that faith is based in Jesus Christ, we are in essence drinking of water that is very healthy and life-sustaining. When that faith becomes poisoned, it steers us away from Jesus, it steers us away from victory and life, and leads us to defeat and death. Now, what could be poisoning our faith? You think of faith and you start saying, what could be poisoning our faith? Well, in the natural, there are many types of poisons that could be in water. The same is true from a spiritual point of view concerning what could be, what could be poisoning your faith. The same thing is, is, uh, is true. One very strong poison to our faith is fear. Now, this is where we want to get away from religious thinking. One very strong poison to our faith is fear. This spirit of fear and having fear has been touched on in several sermons over the past few months, which tells me that Holy Spirit wants to dwell on it for a bit, because fear can manifest in so many ways in our lives. Fear can show up in so many ways. According to Scripture, 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But when we allow fear to enter into our lives, it enters into our faith, and our faith becomes poisoned. Okay, follow what I'm saying now. You say, I believe in Jesus Christ. You say, I have faith. But when fear enters into your life, you let it get into your life and into your head, it gets into your faith, and it winds up poisoning your faith. The interesting thing about fear is that that old spirit of fear works in the same manner that faith does. Let me repeat that, okay? Interesting thing about fear is that spirit works in the same manner that faith works, okay? Works in the same manner. When one is operating in the spirit of fear, the focus is on the negative things that might happen. This is where the poisoning starts. When you're operating in that spirit of fear, the focus is on the negative things that might happen in life. There's a fixation on and a confidence in the fact that things will go wrong. How many times have we had something very important coming up before us? A meeting with the boss, a meeting with someone that's important, dealing with your rent, your house, your mortgage, or whatever important in life. And, and that, that meeting is coming on a Monday and it's Friday. All weekend long, you're worrying about what might happen on Monday. What might happen on Monday. And that spirit of fear gets in there and starts working on you. And all of a sudden, the faith that you have in God, that strong faith, all of a sudden that fear starts coming in and it starts injecting poison into your faith. And then you start worrying that what is going to happen is, is uh, something that is going to be terrible. So, so fear then, there is a fear of the worst thing or things coming to pass. This is the same process uh, as God-type faith, but it is not focusing on the promises of God and doesn't hold on to the word of God, who is Jesus Christ. Faith is faith. Would you believe that satanic worshipers have faith? All right. I'll say that again. Faith is faith. Would you believe that satanic worshipers have faith? They believe and they're fixated on and they have confidence in the things of evil and darkness. The same way that you are, your faith that you have is fixated on Jesus Christ and the things of light, of God. Satanists believe in the same thing and they're fixated on it. They believe with a passion. So faith is faith. It takes just as much faith to believe in or trust in a rock a tree, a snake, or any other thing, or any other demonic symbol or object. It takes just as much faith. So if you talk to someone that's into the occult and is a Satanist and you talk about faith, they believe just as much that that snake or that rock or that symbol that they're worshiping or that demonic entity they're working is going to do good for them or to do great things for them. I can't say good in terms of God good, but will do great things for them just the same way that you have faith in God. Occult practices are based in faith. The faith is in belief that the rituals and demonic incantations will bring about the, the desired result. Now, of course, we know that this kind of faith is based on evil and is a product of the devil, our adversary. So if fear is faith that has been poisoned, how does this poison get introduced into our water of faith? All right. If fear is a poison and we know that that can poison our faith, how does it get introduced? An agent that is odorless, tasteless, and is very subtle introduces the poison. There's something that is used to get that poison into our faith system. And that, and that agent that is used is doubt. That's how it starts. It starts with doubt. You have things going on in your life and whatnot, and you know what the Word of God says, and you've got faith. If someone asks you, do you have faith that God can bring you through, that God can deliver you, you say, yeah. But then in quiet times or in moments when you're by yourself, all of a sudden, there's that little bit of doubt that starts creeping in. 
Now, in the meantime, the waters that you've been drinking from has been life-giving. It's been nice and fresh and poison-free. But all of a sudden, this little agent of doubt comes, comes, comes you know, creeping, sneaking along, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And as long, as long as you let that agent stay there and whatnot, you let it just dwell and you're dwelling on it, then, then that, that spirit of doubt says, aha, I've got, I've got a toe in. I've got a foot in the door. I've got my toe in. And he turns around, that old wimpy agent agent of doubt, and calls back to his big brother, the powerful one. Fear! I've got my foot in the door. I've got a crack. I've got a chink in his or her armor. And then fear comes ambling along. The big guy, he comes in, and now he sees a way in. So your water of faith, which at one time was pristine and sparkling and nice and clean and all this, said, now this little angel, you, you know, you, you can kind of picture it if you had, had a clear pool of water in front of you, and then all of a sudden someone takes an eyedropper and drops a bit of ink, black ink, into that pool. And that black ink starts spreading, starts spreading. And then when the fear comes in, it gets darker and darker and gets deeper and deeper. Well, so it is with your water of faith, you see? See? But faith is faith. Faith is faith. Faith. That same spirit of fear has enough faith in his evilness, in his evil ways to know that if I can get my foot in that door and keep on prying and prying and prying, that I will get through. So faith is faith. That spirit of fear, that spirit of fear has the same faith that he can get through. So how do we keep that poisonous faith out of our, out of our lives? He plants doubt in our minds to twist what God has told us to do. That's how he gets to us. He puts doubt in our minds and twists what God has told us to do. Let's go to a scripture that you're all very familiar with. Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3. He's crafty. He knows how to get around you. He knows how to take the faith that you have in God and twist it. Uh, Genesis 3. He knows how to, how to, to uh, put that chink in your armor and just twist it and twist it until he opens the door and gets his big, ugly foot in to go deeper. Genesis 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the fields. He's subtle. Okay? Not in your face, but devious and subtle. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree at the garden? You see? There's doubt. That's where you start. If you don't have it underlined already, underline it and write the word doubt in the margin there. That's where he starts planting the doubt. Shall you not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may uh, eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So she clearly understood what God had said. She understand, understood God's instructions. When you're praying and you're waiting and you're hoping for something in your life and you know God is speaking to you, you know that God is talking to you. You know what God has said to you. Okay? But then the devil comes along and he says, oh, is that so? Should you not do so and so? Or should you really do so and so? Countering and contradicting what God has put in your spirit to do. And the serpent said, uh, and the serpent said, verse four, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not truly die. Now, that's the lie. Underline that and write in your margin the lie. OK, first he plants the doubt and then he comes in with the light, with the lie. Now, God had told her, what did what did she say in verse number three? But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it unless you die. But the serpent comes back and he contradicts God and he says, you shall not die. 
So when we're going through this thing and we've got this faith in something and we know what God said to do and God said not to do, then the devil comes in and with that fear of doubt, I mean, that spirit of doubt starts, that seed of doubt starts putting in you, oh, no, no, no. You're not going to perish. Things are not going to be bad if you do that. Or if you stop doing this, that's not going to be the case. Whereas God has specifically told you what to do or what not to do. But that seed is being planted. And then he outwardly tells you a lie. God didn't tell you that. Here you are praying for something that's really, really troubling you. You've been really wrestling with this thing. And then in prayer, God gives you the answer. God gives you the answer and tells you what it is he would have you to do or what it is that you should not do. And then the Satan will come in there and he'll say, that wasn't God. How does that make sense that he would tell you to do A, B, C, D? How is that going to answer your prayer? You've got this problem that's got to be solved tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. That does not make sense. You shall not surely die. Amen. Verse number five says, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You see, so then he winds up then telling you and getting you to almost rationalize why you need to go along with, with what he is saying. You see, so that spirit of doubt, that's where that's where it comes in and, and, and introduces that spirit of fear. Satan poised the garden by planting doubt. He used deception to get Eve to sin. Satan will use deception with us to poison our faith water. You can have your faith water easily, easily poisoned if all of a sudden you start listening in and start doubting what God has told you. You see? see, And the thing about it is, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? He has been in prayer and in your spirit. You know from hearing from God that this is the right thing, that this is the way. But, 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 but you can't quite understand how that's going to accomplish whatever it is that you need to have accomplished. That doubt, that spirit of fear, that first the doubt comes and says you doubt God. And then once you start doubting God, then all of a sudden you become fearful. Because now you're starting to say, oh, gee whiz, maybe I should have done what God said to do. Or maybe I shouldn't. Oh, boy, oh, boy, now what's going to happen come Monday morning? I've got to go for that meeting. Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Then all of a sudden you're fearful. You're up all Sunday night. You can't sleep. You've got palpitations in the chest, in your chest. You're sweating. You've got the heebie-jeebies and God. Everything is shaken apart because all of a sudden now the spirit of fear has got you going. So then you wind up doing something, something worse. You either uh, cancel the appointment or you do something really stupid. And then come Tuesday, it becomes worse and worse and worse because you didn't do what you should have done on Monday. And so that fear now starts growing and growing and growing. Okay. All right. So if he can, if he can get us to disbelieve or doubt the word of God, then fear takes over, you see? And you've got to get accustomed to believing the word of God and not doubting it, regardless of how silly or how it doesn't seem to make sense to you. You've got to hold on to that. He causes us to feel insecure, because if God's word isn't true, then where lies our hope? Stop and think about that. If you ever get to the point where you actually start thinking, well, gee whiz, what God is saying isn't true, I mean, can you imagine to me what a horrible life that would be if all of a sudden you came to the conclusion that what God is saying in his word is not true? It's all a lie? Then where does your hope go? The things that happen in your life, you certainly can't fix. If you could, you would. So therefore, if we can't rely on God, where is the hope? You see, and that's where then that spirit of hopelessness starts setting in. And then that's when people start turning their back on God and start leaving the church and stop praying and so on like that. Because that spirit of hopelessness all of a sudden gets in and it's like, gee whiz, what's the point? 
He mixes this doubt and insecurity and it becomes fear and then stirs the fear into our faith until it becomes more and more poisoned. The faith that was once God focused now becomes a faith. Listen to this now. The faith that was once God focused now becomes a faith that is focused on defeat. Becomes a faith that is focused on defeat, destruction and failure. Fear is faith. Fear is faith that has been poisoned. If you let it dwell long enough, all of a sudden you start, and you've probably, you probably know people like this, and you've probably heard people say this, Jesus, what's the point? There's no sense in me praying. It's not going to work anyway. God is not listening to me. So, I mean, Jesus, I might, just, might as well just lay down and die. Now, very seldom will you hear anyone say, I might as well lay down and die, but they will say, what's the point? And that's what they're feeling in their spirits. They get to the point where they, and I know people that have said, Jesus, come Sunday morning, I feel like I don't want to get out of bed. I got so many things going on, I can't even get out of the bed. You see, so that's the same mentality. Why not just live here and just and, and, and just rot away, just sit here and just dry up and, and evaporate or whatever. But they kind of wish that's what they could do because they don't want to keep the strong faith in God. So what do we have to do? We have to choose. We have to choose whether or not we want to let our faith be poisoned. Okay? And that's what it's all about. Satan is trying to poison your faith. If he can get you to the point where all of a sudden you start doubting what God is saying, what his word is saying in the Bible, or what God is saying to you. If he can get you to doubt that, then that's what he's doing. He's putting that ink drop, ink drop into your clear pool of faith to muddy it, to muddy it. It's a matter of attitudes. It's a matter of attitudes. Choose not to accept the poisons of fear, stress and worry. A couple of weeks ago, there's that sermon where it says, like, uh, you, you, are, you are not built to carry burdens. Well, God didn't build you to carry a burden. You weren't made that way. He is. He can carry a burden. Okay? You see? But the way that fear and that attitude of, of, uh, of stress and worry will get in there, you will want to hold on to those burdens instead of giving it to God. Making this choice not to carry the burdens and not to let fear get in and poison your faith, making this choice requires pure faith, not poison faith. Fear is faith that has been poisoned. If ever there's something going on in your life and you start feeling that like, gee whiz, I'm worried about this, or gosh, I'm going to fail, I'm going to not succeed, or what I'm praying for is not going to come to pass, then stop and think about your faith is being poisoned. Use that visual, like I've got a clear pond in my backyard, crystal clear water in my backyard, and now there's the devil standing there with an ink dropper, and he's dropping droplets of black negativity into my pool of clear faith. When you visualize it that way, you can see what's being done because it's not, it's, it, it, many times it is not a sudden thing. It can be a gradual thing where things will just be happening and they'll start mounting up, mounting up, mounting up. And you say, see, I believe I was believing for so-and-so. I was believing for so-and-so. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. And look, and it seems like instead of going forward, I'm going backward. Well, when you start thinking like that, think about that pool in your backyard because now that's the devil standing there dropping black ink into your faith. It's dropping it in, and that ink is just spreading out. It's just spreading out, you know? You, know, you, you, you ever drop a, a, a stone in a pond or any body of water, and you see that it hits in the middle, and then there are these concentric circles that move out from the stone, the ripples that increase. Well, if you leave that black ink drop there long enough, it's going to spread until it entirely poisons your faith. Strong fear can become your, strong fear can actually become your faith. Hear what I'm saying now. Strong fear can actually become your faith because you always expect things to go wrong. So what's happening now is that that fear is becoming your faith because all you're doing is you are expecting things to go wrong. 
Okay? Now understand what I'm saying? Positive faith is when you are at a point in life where you've got an issue going on in life and you're praying to God and your expectation is that God is going to fix it. And you have a strong, firm belief in that. As a man or lady thinks in his or her heart, so he or she is. So when you've got faith in God, that's what you believe. And it's strong that, that this is going to work out no matter how I, how I feel. And think about it. Poison faith, okay, fear and, 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 and failure can actually become your faith because no matter what happens in your life, you expect that it's going to go wrong. So the same way the person that has a healthy God-centric faith is thinking that things are going to go right and be solved, okay, the fear-based faith is that faith that says no matter what I do, it's going to go wrong. I'm going to fail. So fear is exactly, is exactly it's a faith. We expect things to go wrong. You end up having faith that things will always go wrong for you. So in this sense, your fear is poison faith. So how do we prevent our faith from being poisoned? The answer to that is by knowing what God is saying to you, by knowing what God is saying to you. Okay? and how do you know what God is saying to you? You're saying here you are are praying. You've heard me talk about quiet times with God. You heard me talk about reading the Bible and, and, and that quote unquote that prayer closet or wherever it is that you can be alone with God. When you're doing that prayer, and you've heard me say this before, prayer is not a one way conversation where where all you are doing is talking to God. Conversate prayer with God is a conversation where you pray, you pour out your heart to God. You may even be sitting, kneeling, laying there with you. You're just crying and you're calling out to God and everything. Lord, this is going on. I need a solution, blah, 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 blah. Then what you do is you stop and listen. Stop and listen. Stop talking. Stop talking. Just stop and listen. And you will get to the point where you will notice that you will hear a, a, a still, quiet voice, if you will, it's hard to describe, but you, you, a, a thought, a voice will come into your head. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. And you stop and, and you hear and you say, God, if this is you, what I think I hear you telling me to do is to pick up and, and take that piece of paper and tear it in four pieces and throw it in the garbage can, whatever it may be, as silly as it may sound. If this is you telling me to do that, then that's what I'll do. And you'll feel a quietness. You won't hear this cacophony of sounds and noises going through your head. You'll just know that this is, this is a thought being placed in your spirit from God. And you get up and you do what God is telling you to do. Okay? God doesn't always shout with loud, booming voices, but there'll be a quiet knowing within yourself that this is what God is telling me to do. So this is how we wind up knowing what God is telling us to do and how we act on those things and keep our faith from being poisoned. Let's go to Deuteronomy. It's all about about choices. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And it's so easy for our faith to be poisoned. And when you've got challenges in your life going on and you start thinking about why am I vacillating or why am I going up and down with this? Then you stop and think, well, there's that old devil there with an ink dropper trying to drop some black ink into my cool pool of faith, trying to tarnish it, trying to darken it. But we have to, we have to choose what it is that we're going to, to accept and believe. Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting with verse 1. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse, 
which I have set before thee, which I have set before thee, the blessing and the curse. It doesn't say blessing or, it says the blessing and the curse, which I have set before thee. That thou, thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord thy God has driven thee. And shall return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that you shall return unto the Lord thy God. Verse 3. That then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whether the Lord thy God uh, hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out into the outermost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good and multiply by thee above thy fathers. You realize that you, all, you have a, uh, a promised land. That promised land will be the things that you're praying for, the things that you're hoping for, the things that you hope to accomplish, the places that you want to be. Well, God can bring you to that promised land, but it said in verse number one, to return to him. So have we drifted away from God? You need to ask yourself, do we need to return to him? Verse number six, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart in the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon your enemies and on them that hate you, which persecute thee. If you've got people that are working against you, be it at work, in the neighborhood, or wherever it might be, if people that are working against you, remember that, that God will deal with your enemies. God will deal with your enemies. You don't have anything to worry about. You don't have to lift a finger. God will take care of them. Verse number eight. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command thee this day. You need to ask yourself, am I doing all of the commandments? Am I trying my best to do everything that God is wanting me to do? It says, return and obey the voice of the Lord. He says return several times here, meaning that obviously if someone has to return to something, that means that they were there at one point in time and they left. So if you've left or drifted away from where God would, uh, would want you to be or where you were originally with God as far as your faith is concerned, it's time for you to return to that place. Verse number 9 says, And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thy hand, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy land, for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good, and he, uh, as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, so here it is, the important thing here is, have we returned to God with all thy heart and our soul? You know? One of the things that I, I, I know is so challenging today uh, to the body of Christ is, is, is continuity. How many people have really turned to the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul? How many people are part-time Christians? How many people do not really openly talk about their faith and convey their faith to others? Or are we Christians that kind of keep God in the closet? We open the door and let him out to take a walk when we need something real bad. But other than that, he's kind of in the closet. So how much are we really turning to God with all of our heart and with all of our soul? You need to ask yourself, you know, when I talk to the Lord and when I'm praying to him and when I'm seeking him, am I really seeking him? Do you just believe that you're talking to a tree or to a table or you're going through a ritual every day where you're praying to God asking for something? 
Or are you really believing that I'm connecting with the creator of the universe and that God desires to help me? It says here that, that, that the fruit of your body will be prosperous. Every work of your hand will prosper. Verse number, verse number 11 says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, uh, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It, it, it is not in heaven that thou should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither it is it beyond the sea that thou should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Underline or highlight verse number 14. Okay, so the word of God is not some place where it's so out of reach. It's not way up in heaven where you feel like it's so out of reach, Jesus. Who's going to go to heaven and bring the word of God, bring God's voice and his message down to me? It's not some place across some distant sea where you can't get to it. The word of God is very near you. It's very cl- it's close to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, in your spirit, that you may do it. And operative words is that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Please underline that. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. This day, Sunday, October 21st, 2018, is being set before you. Life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Underline that, please. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither, thy, the, uh, whither thou goest to possess it. And blessing the land where you're going is everything is dealing with your life. It's, it's talking about your life's journey. It could be a physical land. It could be a spiritual place where God wants to bring you to. But he will bless you in the land where you go to possess it. 17. But if your heart turns away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over the Jordan to, to possess it. So here what he's saying is, if your heart turns away, you're letting your faith be poisoned. If your heart be turned away to other things, where other things become more important than God. That's another way that spirit of doubt, that seed of doubt can get into your life, ushering in the spirit of fear, where your faith all of a sudden starts becoming poisoned. If you turn your heart away so that you will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. And you say, well, pastor, I don't worship another god. I don't, I don't have any idols or things like that. Oh, no. What are you doing some Sundays when you decide not to go to church? Where have you been pulled away to? You're out there working on your 1958 Chevy. You're remodeling that. You're out there with the Little League and you're doing that. Or you decide there's a big sale at Walmart or there's so-and-so, so-and-so. And you decide, well, gee whiz, oh, oh, there's a house showing. I'm praying for a house. I'm praying for a house, praying for a house. All of a sudden, there's an open house. And Wednesday, Sunday, during church hours, all right, I'll go to that open house. Well, you're, you're developing a God there because you're putting that thing before God. And God says, I will have no other gods before me. You see? So it's so easy. And we as Christians, we rationalize to ourselves simply because we don't worship little idols on our dashboards or, or little other, other things, stones or things. You think, well, gee, I don't have an idol. If there's anything that you are finding more important than God, then you're being drawn away by, by another idol, by other idols. He goes on to say uh, um, in verse number 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death 
blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Underline, therefore, choose life. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That's you and your children. So God is saying here in verse number 19 that today he calls heaven and earth to record this, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. So you've got that set before you today. It's your choice. Are you going to choose to not let the devil poison your faith? Are you going to choose to do what God is calling you to do? So therefore that evil cannot start sneaking its way in. Choose life that both you and your seed may live. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him. Underline that thou mayest cleave unto him. You know what the word cleave means? Cleave means to hold on to dearly. Hold on to dearly. Don't let God slip away from you. If you're cleaving and you're holding on to God, then that means that the devil cannot get in there and start poisoning your faith. When things start going wrong in your life, you do not wind up having more faith that things are going to go wrong than the faith that is in God. For he, uh, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. So we see here that, that, uh, um, that God is saying to choose. So whether or not you choose to let your faith be poisoned, that is entirely up to you. That's entirely up to you. Whether or not you let yourself be diverted away from what the word of God is saying, the promises that he's made to you, whether you choose to really stand firm and uh, in, in, in trusting God, or are you going to get wishy-washy about it and let the devil get in there and plant doubt? You shall not surely die if you do this. If you don't do what God said, is that what he really meant? How is God going to tell you to tear a piece of paper in four places and throw it in God? Why? How is that going to help you? And all of a sudden you start doubting God. Your faith is being poisoned. So what are you going to choose to do? What are you going to choose? It's up to you. The devil starts coming at you with these ridiculous things and trying to make you doubt. You rebuke him in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus because my God says, and you hit him back with some scripture. See, but you have to choose that that's what you want to do. You wake up, go to bed Sunday night, you got something going on Sunday morning, What Monday morning, what are you going to choose to do? And all of a sudden the doubts and the worries start, start trying to seep in there. What are you going to choose to do? Are you going to return to the Lord thy God, as is saying here in Deuteronomy, or are you just going to sit, lay there and entertain those thoughts? The choice is yours. The choice is yours. God said, God said, Jews, as thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is life and length of days, that thou may dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers. Just continuing here in closing on these uh, first few verses of uh, chapter 31. And Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel. And he said unto them, I am, I am 120 years old this day. I can no more go out. And come in. Also the Lord has said to me, thou shalt not go over this Jordan. For all that Moses did from leading Israel, that the, at, in the final analysis, even Moses did not see the promised land. Because he didn't follow God's instruction, you know, about striking the rock and so on. Verse number three says, the Lord thy God, he will go over before thee. And he will destroy these nations from before thee. And thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before thee, as the Lord has said. You ever stop to think about when you are going on a mission? And I don't mean like a mission trip to Ecuador. I'm talking about you're going to, to do something that God is telling you to do. That whatever obstacle is there before you, 
that God can remove it and will remove it. Okay? And sometimes we know what those obstacles are, be they a person, a situation, a process or whatever. We know what those obstacles are. But if we let that obstacle stay there and we dwell on that obstacle, then our faith is getting poisoned. So we have to choose to believe that, as it says here, the Lord thy God, he will go over before you and he will destroy the nations from before thee. So if you've got something going on and that you're planning to take care of and you see an obstacle, you've got to have faith that God is going to remove it. He will remove that enemy. He will remove that thing before you even get there. But you've got to have faith that that's going to happen. If you can't have faith that that's going to happen, then guess what? You are having that poisoned faith, and you're having faith that that obstacle will not be moved. You're having faith that it will not be moved. The Lord thy God, verse 3 again, he will go over before thee. He will destroy these nations from before thee. Thou shalt possess them, and Joshua, he shall go over before thee, as the Lord hath said. Verse 4, and the Lord shall go, shall do unto them as he did to Sihon and to Og kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of them whom he destroyed. And the Lord shall give them up before your face, that you may, you may do unto them according to all your command, all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that does go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake me. Highlight or underline or bracket all of verse number six. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not. Nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he it is that does go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So whatever it is that you're praying for, whatever that challenge might be in your life, you keep that faith and you know that God is with you. The, the ink blot from that drop or the ink drop from Satan will be, is God really with you? Is God really there? Okay. You know, Satan will even get in your ear and tell you, you think God is there? Open your eyes from prayer. Look around. You see him? Do you see him? If you're dumb enough to open your eyes and start looking around for God, I mean, you're really in worse shape than I think you are. I mean, but gee whiz, you, you fall for that? Do you see God? God said that I am there. So who are you going to choose to believe? God said, I laid before you today blessing and cursing. He didn't say or. He said and. So it's before you. Blessing and cursing. Which one are you going to choose to do? Are you going to choose to follow God? Are you going to choose to, to believe what it is that he's telling you to do? Or are you going to let the, let the devil come in and poison your face, your faith? When one speaks of poison, you think of antidotes. What antidotes do we have? We have the name of Jesus. His name is the most powerful antidote in medicine for anything in the universe. When Satan tries to plant doubt and fear in your mind, literally rebuke that thought or feeling in the name of Jesus. You've got to get accustomed to using the name of Jesus. You have authority in his name. Jesus gave you the authority and permission to use his name. So use it. Choose to use it. You get that ink drop coming into your mind to poison your faith. You say in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that thought. My Lord God said that I, 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 I shall succeed. He is with me. He shall go with me. He shall give me. I have the mind of Christ. When Satan tries to plant doubt and fear in your mind, literally rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. Remember that God has not given you that spirit of fear. Fear is of the devil. And God is not going to give you anything that is of the devil. Don't focus on all that could go wrong, but focus on all that will go right based on the promises of God. Guard your waters of faith so that there are no opportunities for it to become poison and turn into fear. Guard it. Guard it carefully. 
Whenever you're praying for things and you're hoping for things in your life, remember that your faith is what carries you. And the minute that doubt can get in there and start making you think that it's not going to happen, that's when you're starting to, to experience poison faith. Praise God. Praise God. I hope this message was a blessing to you. And now before we close, let's prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.